0: Do it again? Right. I'll take that intro twice. Um, hello. No worries. Is it okay? I'm using this? Wonderful. Well, good morning, voice. It is great to be here. That was cool to see Taka intro me up. Um, I have been following you guys' story even before you guys launched. Um, Taka and I met at a church planting kind of gathering for pastors in Tustin, and we immediately hit it off. And so he's been such a blessing to me personally, and he's been a blessing to our church. So it's really fun to be here with you guys today. Like he said, we uh, we partnered together on Good Friday, and that was just such a joy uh, for the church to be together, to lift up a voice unified. And so it's fun to be here. Um, a little bit about myself like Tonka said, I'm the pastor of New Life. We meet in Tustin as well, near Foothill High School on Newport Avenue. That's where we are. We're going to have our seven-year birthday in January, so New Life's been around for almost seven years. Um, If you look up Orange County bubble in the dictionary, my picture would pop up right next to it. I have lived here my entire life. I was born and raised in one house in the city of Orange, and then I got married and made the really big move to Tustin, and now I've been here for almost 10 years. So I've literally lived in two zip codes my entire life. So most of my friends give me a really hard time about it. But what it means is I really love this area because it's home for me. Like, I love it. It's every part about this area is home. And so anytime a new church comes and anytime somebody comes to invest in Tustin, my heart gets excited because this is where God has called me and my family to be. So thank you guys for having me. Uh, I want to jump into a quick prayer, and then I want to share some stories with you guys. Lord, I thank you that I am with family. I thank you that you have called each and every one of us here today. I thank you, Lord, that we do not walk in as strangers, but as sons and daughters. I thank you that your presence is here. The God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand has joined us today at the assembly hall. And I thank you that you have a word for us, that each and every one of us you want to speak with, and you want to have an encounter and you want to have us leave a bit changed uh, into the image of your son. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? Um, may I just be a translator of your words to your children in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to share with you guys a story that has been blessing me recently. If you can turn in your Bibles to Second Kings, chapter six, that's where we're going to start out today. 2 Kings chapter 6, it's a small story. It's not usually one that's taught in Sunday school. It's not usually one that they teach uh, in seminary too often. It's overlooked, but it has become more and more powerful in my life. So 2 Kings chapter 6, if you're doing a uh, Bible on the phone or the iPad, I'm going to be reading from the NLT. So if you want to hop to NLT to follow along word for word, feel free to do that. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll give everybody a second to get there. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, one day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall? The man of God asked when he showed him the place. Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said, and the man reached out and grabbed it. Pause right there. Now this on the surface might not seem like the most miraculous of miracles, but it's pretty incredible. Uh, Last summer, I went whitewater rafting up in Montana and it was great, and I remember this moment. I'm doing it with my best friend, and the guide says, hey, pause for a photo. So we all turn and take a photo, and then my friend thought it would be a great idea to tackle me into the water. And so he leaps from his spot in the raft, tackles me. We go into the water. It's freezing cold. I come up, shivering, laughing, a little bit of angry, all mixed into one. And then I realize my sunglasses that I was wearing have disappeared. And within seconds, I look. And those babies are sunk to the bottom of the river literally in seconds. That's what things do when they fall into the river. This is what science tells us. The science behind it, I'll get nerdy for a second, says that if something weighs more than one gram per cubic centimeter, it will sink. So that's kind of the science ratio. It's one gram per one cubic centimeter. Any time an object outweighs that, it sinks or it floats. An axe head, like cast iron, real axe head, is seven grams per cubic centimeter, which means it's seven times over the limit, which means translation, it should sink. Right, it's not close, it's not on the threshold, it's not, well, depending on the water, maybe it was really salty water, maybe it was really buoyant, maybe that's why it floated. There's no realistic way you can reason or explain this. Seven times likely it should have sunk, but it didn't. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, axe heads float, I'm going to say this again. You're going to hear me repeat it throughout today's message. In the kingdom of God, there are such things called floating axe heads. I told you guys a little bit about my story that we've been around for about seven years, but because I'm with family today, I'll give you guys a little bit behind the scenes. It has not been easy for my wife and I, for the church, for the leadership team. These seven years have been quite the roller coaster, um, to be honest. We launched in 2015, and I actually launched with a co-pastor. So it was me and my wife, and then him and his wife, and we were launching it as a team. And things were going great. We were working well together. We were really kind of Letting the city know we want to be a place where if you've been hurt by the church, you can come, you can this is a safe place to be known. and by all accounts, the first year was going well. Uh, we had people coming, people were praising the name of God, disciples were being made, people were being baptized by all like the the check boxes, we were being successful and it was working. And then one year into it, pretty much one year, I get a phone call from this co-pastor of mine. And he says, Matt, I haven't been honest with you. I haven't been honest with my wife or a lot of people. Um, I'm going to have to step away for a while. Good luck. Click. I'll never forget that day. It was a 12-minute phone call that kind of shook our world up. We uncovered that he was having an affair. And he walked away. And my wife and I felt like we kind of got this baby dropped on our doorstep. And if you ask a, a professor of religious studies or anybody who studies church planting, that type of trauma so early on is essentially a death sentence for a church. Because we lost all credibility And all trust and any goodwill went completely out the door. We promised people, we're going to be different. We're not going to hurt you. This is a safe place. You can be seen and known. And then we didn't deliver. And that set off a chain reaction of more downhill events. Literally three weeks after we announced this to our church, a founding member, a 24-year-old of our church, died in a tragic motorcycle accident. And so we just went through the trauma of having to tell people that our leadership didn't live up to the standards we promised. Then we go on and we begin mourning the tragic loss of one of our founding members. And it didn't stop there. Um, From there, people just started to leave, rightfully so. One by one, it got less and less and less people. We then had leaders leave. We went through three children's ministry leaders in that year, one by one. They just said, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. I'll never forget one of the darkest moments was when one of my leaders called me. And I'm already at a low point, And they say, Matt, the church is a sinking ship. And I remember hanging up, and I started to cry with my wife the heck did we get ourselves into like what is happening we began to finally stabilize a little bit and then we actually moved from Irvine to Tustin And we felt like we were finally on the up and up. And so we signed a year lease with the movie theaters at the marketplace. So you guys were actually on the other side of Jamboree. For those of you who have been a voice for about two years, you guys were on one side, the old movie theater, as we call it. That's like the Tustin side. We were on the Irvine side. We signed a year lease. And we were so excited. We were like, God, this is finally where you resurrect our story. You're going to bring redemption, beauty from ashes. Let's go, God. We launch. It's great. Six weeks in, we get a call from Irvine Company saying, I got this call on Friday, okay? And they say, Matt, uh, Irvine Company got word that there's a church meeting there. They didn't know that, and you guys have to get out. And I said, what do you mean? Like, from the get-go, we we didn't pretend we weren't a church. You signed the lease. Everything seemed good. Yeah, well, they had to change your heart. You have to get out. And I said, get out at the end of the month? And they said, no, get out now. I said, it's Friday, service is in two days. He said, yeah, I'm sorry, you got to get out. And so we found ourselves homeless. Um, We had a planting church called Calvary Church Santa Ana. They're like our mother church. So we called mom and dad, aka Calvary, and said, we're homeless. Can we move back in with you? And so we actually moved back into literally their basement. They have this youth room called the underground. We were homeless, and so we moved in with them. And we start doing service there. But again, why, God? Why did we get evicted like that? Haven't we been through enough trauma? Like, haven't we done our fair share of, you know, why? But then we gather a little bit at Calvary, and our hearts are for Tustin. And then we found another place right on Newport Avenue, close to where we are now. It was a real estate office. And I had a friend that worked there, and they had a room, I kid you not, exactly this size, Kind of like small, but it fit about 100 people. It had screens. My friend said, it could be a perfect church spot for a year or so. We got no better options. I said, fine, let's do it. Again, we signed a year lease. This time, we actually changed our name. We felt God was giving us a new identity, so we changed our name. And we just believed this is how we go from Abram to Abraham. This is our Jacob to Israel moment. This is where everything turns around. And so we launched on Easter. We'd never done two services in our church's entire life. We were never big enough to do two services. We did two services that very first Sunday. It is going great. We had new people. I remember we sent out 10,000 flyers. We had all these new people coming. I paid for breakfast burrito for the whole church. This is our moment. I promise you that as a Sunday on Tuesday, the city of Tustin calls and said, Matt, the building's not zoned for assembly. You have to get out. I said, what? It's not zoned for church. You have to get out. I said, get out like at the end of the month. He said, get out now. Now, thankfully, I had a little favor in my back pocket. I knew the mayor of Tustin, and I literally begged, I just need one more Sunday because I have all these visitors coming back. I have to at least tell them. And begging literally just got me one extra Sunday. Now, when you look, the first time you tell your congregation that you're being evicted, you get sympathy oh, poor thing, and it felt good. The second time you tell your church you get evicted, you start to get stares of what's wrong with you. I remember it was like deja vu. I stood in front of them and went, guys, we're being evicted again, and the reactions were just dumbfounded. Like, what's wrong with us? Like, why is this happening? I tell people, right, we were and then even from that spot, we couldn't go back to mom and dad, maybe our pride. We just went, we're not going back to Calvary. So we just met in parks for six months. And I always joke, we were meeting in parks before it was cool to meet in parks. Like every church right now is doing outside park services. They're like, yeah, we're reunited. We're, we're, you know, we're doing our best in COVID. A year and a half ago, it wasn't cool to do church in parks, right? We were just homeless. We had nowhere to meet. And so he said, we feel called to Tustin. We will literally... Pray and worship outside in Tustin. But if I'm being honest, throughout so much of this journey, that phrase, that we're a sinking ship, I believed. And it dominated the way I thought of myself and the way I thought of the church and even the way I thought of God. I was like, I can't believe you're going to let us sink. And I remember coming across this story and God speaking such a gracious, life-changing word over me and the church. And that was this, Matt, new life is not a sinking ship. New life is a floating axe head. And I remember pondering that. And I remember the Lord just gently showing that every time it looked that we had sunk, the Lord raised us back to the surface. And every eviction and every failure and every death and every leader walking out the door, I felt, well, this is the end. This is where we sink. This is where the ax and the sunglasses never come back. This is where we finally say sayonara, God. This is where we're done. And the Lord showed me that's not the case, because new life is a floating axe head. And I remember the profound impact that just shift had on me. And I no longer identified with that sinking ship, which that person spoke over me. I remember allowing God's wording and God's title to speak a louder word, and that is we are a floating axe head. And I want to share with you guys another story of a floating axe head because I want you guys to see that these are not one-offs. New life is not something special. This story is not an isolated incident. Turn in your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 27. I'll show you guys what I mean. Matthew chapter 7, 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jump to verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. Move down to verse 57, Matthew twenty-seven, fifty-seven. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Finish up with me. Go to verse 62. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead, if that happens. We'll be worse off than we were at first. So check this out. Verse 65. Pilate replied, Take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. I want you to pause. I want you to imagine you're a disciple who's been following Jesus for three years now. You've given up everything. You've left your family. You've left your job. You've left your comfortability. You've left your Orange County bubble. All you know, you have left to follow this Messiah. This rabbi that you believe is the savior of the world, the the person that your people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. You finally believe you have found him only to see him brutally executed right in front of the world. A public spectacle. And then he's not just killed. He's placed in a tomb that's sealed with a two-ton rock what so most scholars believe was blocking. It's like a 4,000-pound rock is now covering. And if that's not good enough, we see that they then had guards protecting it. In the disciples' mind, Jesus, their Messiah, and all of their hopes just sank. It doesn't get much more sunk. Then the person you have given up everything to follow, dying, being placed in a tomb that's sealed with the 4,000 pound stone and now guarded with soldiers from the most powerful country in the world. like Sunk, game over, death sentence, it's final. The axe head has sunk for the disciples But the story doesn't end there, right? Look at 28. Keep reading. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside that stone, and sat on it, almost mocking it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. Verse 4. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. This is verse five. Don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus. He was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was past tense lying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee you will see him there remember what I have told you the women ran quickly from the tomb this is verse 8 they were very frightened but also filled with great joy and they rushed to give the disciples the angels message and as they went Jesus met them and, greeted them. and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me here. On Friday, Jesus descends into the dark waters. He sinks. He sinks as much as any single person could ever have sunk. Literal death. Then they guard your death. Then they seal it. Sunk. But on Sunday, we see God resurrects him. God makes him rise to the surface again. You don't have to turn there, but Acts gives us a fascinating commentary real quick. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, I think I got it on the screen. It says, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. AKA, you tried to sink Jesus. Verse 24, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. Look at this line. For death could not keep him in its grip. Why could death? not hold him down? My answer would be because Jesus is a floating axe head. Death could not keep him down. It was unable, it was powerless to keep Jesus sunk. We read in Second Kings that the axe head could not remain at the bottom. And we read in the Gospels, Jesus could not remain in the grip of death. Why? Because God is a God who resurrects the dead and makes axe heads float. I don't know if you guys know this. Our entire faith is built around this idea that Jesus was sunk, and yet God brought him back to the surface. And what's amazing, and this is where it gets better, and this is where I need you guys to stay with me, is that this isn't like isolated just to Jesus, okay, or or just to new life, because look what happens. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Now moves the story on to us. So hopefully I've laid the groundwork that Jesus is the ultimate floating axe head. But look what Ephesians has to do now about us. Look at the word that this is going to speak over each of you. As soon as God spoke that word over me, myself, and new life, it drastically changed so much of how I viewed myself and the world. And Ephesians chapter 2 is written for voice to be spoken right now over you. Look what it says, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. Once you were dead, a.k.a. sunk, because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 2, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else, right? This is scripture saying sin separated us. Like completely sunk us deeper and deeper and deeper away from the presence of God. Farther and farther away from the source of life itself. This is every single one of us was separated, sinking. But verse 4. Everybody should have this one underlined. This is your tattoo verse. This is your theme verse. This is all believers should know. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins. A.K.A. even though we sank. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have floated, that you have been saved. Verse six, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. What's really cool about that word united, I feel like it's an overlooked part of Christian theology. When it says that we're united with Christ, it means that everything that's true of Jesus... Is actually true of us. And it's a part that we'll fully never grasp this side of eternity, but that's what baptism is. It's basically saying we died with Christ on the cross, and as we come out of the water, we actually share in his resurrection. So we're not just saved by Christ. That's only looking at part of what he did. We're united with Christ, which means his obedience becomes our obedience. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His death becomes our death. And his floating back to the surface, him being a floating axe head, is now the same thing for us. Because of our union with Christ, we follow in his footsteps. And if death could not hold Jesus down because he is a floating axe head... And because we are united with him, which means what's true of him becomes true of us, each and every one of us in this room gets to share in the title of floating axe head. We wear Jesus's robes of righteousness, not because we earned it, but he did. And because of our union, we wear them. Something special about new life that we get to claim that we're floating axe heads. We just claim that because our Savior, that's who he is. And because we're followers and united, we understand that it becomes true of us. Voice. Those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, you're united with him. You become one flesh, essentially, with Christ, which means his floating axe headness, if that's a word, becomes your floating axe headness. We have a phrase at our church that Jesus has made us floaty. We're not great at grammar, but we like the picture of it. Jesus has made us floaty. And what we mean is that when sin and when life and when circumstances hurl us deep, we know that because of our union with Christ, we will rise. And I say this because I think so many of us, have experienced some sinking over this past 18 months. Some of us have lost our jobs, and so we've seen our financial situation crumble and sink. We've seen politics divide us, so we've seen relationships sink. We've seen families divided, and we've seen relationships with our own mother, brother, son, and daughter sink. We've seen our emotional health come to a crumble. Psychologically, we're gripped with fear, and we've sunk. You can pick a category, and I think all of us in this room would relate to having experienced some form of sinking over just this past 18 months. And if the reason why this is important, because like me, when I believed I was a sinking ship... You become to become quite nihilistic, which just means this is my lot in life. This is my fate. I will sink. I will rot. I will die. You begin to believe that if you believe you're a sinking ship. But when Christ transforms that and speaks to you, you are not a sinking ship. You are a floating axe head. You begin to have hope. And hope gives strength. And hope is what helps you endure. I believe there's even people in this room who've considered harming themselves just because of how much you feel like you have sunk. Some of you have come close to walking away from your faith altogether because of how much you have sunk. And by no way am I here to minimize any of the pain, just like when I look back at my own story, Pastor, and there's no part of that, that I minimize the tears that were shed and the heartbreak. But I'm here to tell you that because of your union with Christ, you will rise. And I'll even go one step further. Some of you are actually in the process of rising right now, even though it doesn't feel that way. How many of you guys have scuba dived? Give me a show of hands. A few? Five, six of us? Okay. My parents were big scuba divers. And when you scuba dive, there's this weird paradox that's often the most painful part is the ascent. My mom went diving one time, and I forget exactly what happened. She either went up too quickly, or she blew her nose at the wrong time, but she completely blew the blood vessels in her eyes. And I remember being like a 10-year-old, and my mom came home with sunglasses, and I was so excited to see her. And then she lifts them up, and I completely jumped back. Because if you've ever seen somebody, it's like, it looks like they haven't slept in five weeks and they just smoked the joint. Like so creepily red eye. And I remember being a 10-year-old going, Mom, what happened to you? And she said, oh, like this happens sometimes. You know, it happens when you rise, when you ascend too quickly. And scuba divers know that sometimes the most painful part is the ascent. Can you imagine being a scuba diver and you're actually rising to the surface, but you're feeling the pain And you tell yourself, well, the pain must mean I'm sinking, so I'm going to give up. You'd want to shake your diver friend, and say, no, we are this close to the surface. We we are seconds away from breathing life-giving oxygen. Do not confuse the pain that you are feeling for a sinking. Oftentimes, ascension brings a pain with it. And so some of you, even the pain that you're feeling right now is not a sinking pain. It is the pain that comes right before the light. It is the darkness that comes right before the dawn. So do not lose heart. Do not believe the lie that your destiny is to sink. Now, I want to be clear. This is not... Nothing bad ever happens to us. I don't want you to think, well, my Bitcoin is crumbling and Matt promises it'll rise. So I'm going to let it double down. No, no, no. This is not, well, my business is crumbling, but Matt promised I wouldn't know. This is not that, right? New life, I could come back in two years and say, hey, guys, we actually folded. That doesn't mean, though, I'm not still a floating axe head. Because I will be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I will achieve victory over death. Death literally cannot hold Matt down. And you might say, well, that's a little bold statement. I said, well, I know who I'm united with. There's nothing special about me that I claim that because of Matt's goodness. I claim that because I know who I'm connected to. Can you imagine what kind of a powerful witness we'd be? Is if even if our church is closed, or even if our business is folded, or even if our bank accounts crumbled, that we actually still said, no, I'm actually rising. No, I still have hope. I'm still a floating asset." The world would look at us and say, what? And it'd give all of us the ability to say, because my soul has been redeemed. My sins have been washed away, and I have been given victory status for all of eternity. So this is not a nothing bad will ever happen to you sermon. That's not true. That's not what scripture says. But I'm saying even in spite of hardships, don't ever believe that your destiny is one of sinking. Because it's not. Your destiny as a follower of Christ is always rise. Why? Because you're a floating axe head. Because we serve a floating axe head. Our Messiah and our Savior sunk first. As Revelation says, he grabbed those from the pits of Sheol, rose all of us up, rescued us from death and darkness, and we sit in victory seat with Christ forever. So voice, if you came in today with this much hope, if you came in today contemplating walking away, giving up, folding, quitting your marriage, picking up the bottle, beginning to harm yourself, I want to give you a message of hope that says, you are a floating axe head. And I remember being this close to quitting being a pastor and walking away, and God redeemed with a simple word, Matt, you're not a sinking ship. Your floating accent. And I wish I could look each and every one of you in the eye right now and say, because of Christ, who is the ultimate floating accent, you will rise. I promise you, you will rise. Death cannot hold you, it cannot keep you down because Jesus has made us floaty. God, I thank you. I thank you for those truths. I thank you, Father that you speak a louder word and that when society tells us we're dead and gone and when my circumstances look like all there is is darkness awaiting me, I'm thankful that your spirit and your scriptures say something different. And Father, we put our trust in you today. Jesus, we put our hope in you. We are claiming that our union with you is stronger than anything else. And because of who you are, we will rise So Holy Spirit, show us the areas that we've began to believe falsely that we're sinking. And Holy Spirit, may you speak a louder, truer word today. And would you remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus? Amen.